0: Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings and salutations. My name is Doug, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Now, first things first, I have an update about the basement renovation. We have now had our follow-up energy audit, and the check is in the mail. Thanks to the upgrades that we made this year, the new furnace, the tankless heater, the attic insulation, and the basement insulation, plus adding those little foam gaskets to our electrical outlets. Well, because of all those improvements, we qualify for over $3,000 in rebates, give or take 500 bucks. I'm, uh, I'm not counting on anything until we actually have the check in hand. But yeah, not too shabby. So with that done, The time pressure is now off. No more deadlines. Other than the final electrical inspection, but I still have at least six months left for that. And the hard part is already done. So really, no more stress. At this point, I want to take a step back and figure out exactly where we are in terms of finances. The payments for the HVAC are due to start soon, and I want to knock those down as quickly as possible. I mean, it's been great being out of debt for most of the year, and there's no way I want to go back. All right, well, this week I want to tell you about a couple of challenges I faced and how I solved them with a couple of products that I found after countless hours of extensive searching and researching. And let me start by pointing out that this episode is not sponsored in any way, and I am receiving no compensation for talking about either of these products. But if they help me, they may help you. And if I can save you some time by sharing what I found, then all the better. So let's start in the basement and how to secure framing to the slab when you don't want to use mechanical fasteners. Now, there may be a couple of reasons for that. Maybe you have in-floor heating or plumbing or, like in my case, a French drain system that you don't want to risk damaging. Well, after I gutted about 90% of the basement, it was time to start putting things back together, and that meant framing a new perimeter wall. I had got rid of all the old bluewood treated studs that I put up a few years ago, so it was back to the basics. Just regular, untreated, standard, spruce pine fir, whitewood studs. But what do you do about the bottom plate of the framed wall where it comes into contact with the concrete slab because of, well, you know, the issues with concrete and moisture? Well, in the U.S., it is common practice to use pressure-treated wood for the bottom plate. I had used blue wood-treated lumber, which fit that bill. It was moisture and mold-resistant. Now, I do go into more detail in a previous episode, and I also have a blog post about blue wood explaining why I chose to remove it and go back to standard untreated studs. And those links will be in the show notes for this episode. But yeah, in the U.S., you will typically find pressure-treated lumber directly in contact with the concrete slab. In Canada, at least in Ontario, we tend to use something between the wood and the concrete, like a vapor barrier or a foam sill gasket something that prevents that contact altogether. I am generalizing here, and this may be more of an Ontario thing than a Canada-wide thing, or maybe it's even more local than that, but we have been slow to adopt the use of pressure-treated lumber for this purpose. And that goes back about 20 years or so when pressure-treated lumber contained arsenic. Even though that is no longer a concern, we still tend to be nervous about bringing chemicals inside the house. But if you look at the building code, the way it's worded is that a barrier must be used if the wood is untreated. Which, of course, means that treated wood is acceptable, if not preferable. But still, like I said, the common practice is to use a barrier. And personally, a silk gasket is my go-to. And that's fine if you're using mechanical fasteners. Normally I use TAPCON concrete screws. But, we have a French drain system around the exterior wall of the basement. That system relies on a plastic channel to control any water that may come in. Now there's a thin layer of concrete over the plastic top of that channel. And to fasten the bottom plate of the wall with TAPCONs would inevitably put holes in the top of that channel. And Yeah, that's probably not a good thing. Like I said, I had previously used blue wood framing, and with that I had used construction adhesive with mixed results. There must be a better way. So I went directly to the source. I put in a call to the Basement Systems franchise that did the work on our house and asked them what they recommended. Their answer? Concrete screws. But use short ones. Not too deep. Don't tighten them too much. And yes, they are going to go through the top of that French drain channel, which is why you want to use short concrete screws. Oh, well, yeah. um Don't tighten them too much. How much is too much? How much is just enough? I would hate to hear that sickening sound of cracking plastic as I gamble on one more quarter turn of the screw. And how deep is too deep? I mean, I want the screws to be deep enough to hold. So what length of screw should I use? And then I asked myself, am I risking short-circuiting $8,000 worth of waterproofing with $10 worth of screws? And I decided that I really didn't want to use mechanical fasteners. So that meant I was going to have to use construction adhesive to attach the 2x4 bottom plate to the concrete. So, can't use a barrier, and therefore the bottom plate was going to have to be treated lumber. Which is fine. In fact, like I said, I had used adhesive in the case of my blue wood framing. And it was a popular brand. contains the letters PL followed by a number. And the higher the number, the better, one assumes. Well, like I said, I had mixed results with it. It seemed to have worked well enough, but there were some cases where it wasn't terribly strong when I pried some of the boards up. But I have used this product in the past, so I really can't say too much negative about it. The points of failure could very well be my own fault for not prepping the surfaces properly. After all, preparation is everything. If I prep the surfaces well. Construction adhesive should work. But which one is going to work best for what I am doing? Well, I went online to research this very question on 15-year-old DIY forums. And in my hours of research, and I mean hours of research, I came across one comment, one comment that had me second-guessing everything. And that is that adhesive is not flexible. When the wood expands and contracts, and it will, it will cause the adhesive to eventually fail. Now, mind you, other people complain that the adhesive works too well and removing whatever is being stuck down with it is a pain. Once again, ask three different people, get three different answers. But yeah, Eventually failing was not something I was looking for. I wanted to do this thing right the first time, so there is no second time. Or actually, I guess in my case, it's doing things right the second time, so there is no third time. But you you, you get the point. (sighs) Well, for a while, I contemplated using the Tapcons anyway, because they were starting to look like my only option. And it is what Basement Systems recommended. But then I came across a product that I hadn't seen before. And the link will be in the show notes. It comes from a company called Excel. That's uh, X-C-E-L. And they make a variety of adhesives. And the one that seemed to suit my purpose best, in fact, it was the one they recommended when I contacted them, is called IGA. IGA for Instant Grab Adhesive. You know, the instant grab part is kind of scary. But, you know, I watched a video demonstration of this stuff, and it is impressive. It even works underwater. But more important are the claims that it remains permanently flexible. It doesn't shrink, and it's fungus-resistant. For me... The flexibility is the most important part of the equation here because, well, wood moves. It may not move much, but there is expansion and contraction. Now, there is a downside. Excel IGA seems to be quite a bit more expensive than the competition, but you know, I am willing to spend a little extra for something that works. And so far, it has lived up to the hype. It is extremely thick. I mean, you get a pretty good workout dispensing this stuff. And I found that a single 8-foot 2x4 would use about 3 quarters of a tube. Now, I like the thickness, because that's going to conform better to any imperfections in the surfaces that are being adhered. Between you and me, the waterproofing guys didn't exactly do the smoothest job with the concrete. And good luck finding a perfectly straight and flat 2x4. I used some spacers to help position the boards that I was gluing down because, like I said, instant grab does sound kind of scary and I needed to be on the money on my first shot. And let me tell you, it grabbed. There was a brief window of opportunity where the position of the board could be tweaked or the board even lifted back up, but it was brief. So once I was sure of the placement, I put some weight into it. I stood on the board. I walked along the length, making sure it was adhered. And within about a minute or so, that board wasn't going to go anywhere. Now, they do say that it takes 24 hours to fully cure, so maybe there's still an opportunity to pry stuff apart. I don't know. I didn't try, because at 15 bucks a tube, that was going to be an expensive experiment. The cured adhesive does have some flexibility to it, so it's going to allow for a little expansion and contraction of the bottom plate. But that bottom plate is not going to go anywhere. So all in all, I'm pretty confident that this XL IGA was a worthwhile investment. Now, you'll remember that I built my wall in place, stud by stud. If you are framing the wall on the floor first and then tilting it up, you should probably do a double bottom plate. Glue the first bottom plate down and then nail or screw the second bottom plate to that once the wall assembly is in place. Now, as I said at the top of the show, this is by no means a sponsored segment. I am receiving no compensation whatsoever for talking about Excel products. I simply use the product and I highly Highly recommend it. And if you want to know more, you can find more information at ExcelProducts.ca. X-C-E-L-Products.ca or ExcelProducts.co.uk. And they've also expanded into the U.S. market and have a new website, ExcelProUSA.com. All three links will be in the show notes. So, in the basement renovation, the framing is followed by the electrical and plumbing rough-ins and then insulation. And I talked about the plumbing in the last episode, and I will be taking a deeper dive into electrical work in a future episode. As for the insulation, well, the insulation story has a couple of twists and turns. But for that, we're actually going to leave the basement and head out to the garage. The first time I contacted the insulation company was about three years ago, and it was specifically for finding a solution for the garage ceiling, which had no insulation. It had some vapor barrier, but that was deteriorated, and I was not especially keen on getting up into that tight space to lay down new vapor barrier and then insulate it myself. And I didn't want to tear down the drywall ceiling to do it from below. But I did want that space insulated, because I want to be able to control the climate in the garage. So, new vapor barrier was a must. Well, the guy from the insulation company suggested that what they do do in this case is spray two inches of closed-cell spray foam, and that acts as a vapor barrier. And then they simply lay fiberglass bats over top of that to achieve the desired R value. That sounded reasonable to me. And since the garage ceiling was going to cost less than the minimum truck charge, I talked him into upselling me to spray foam in the basement at the same time. But finances and other priorities got in the way and I never got the work done. Flash forward to this year when I asked for an updated estimate. The same guy from the same insulation company is now asking me why we wanted to spray foam the garage ceiling. (laughs) Um, it's because that's what you recommended? Well, he had since learned about Vapor Barrier Primer and said that would be a much more affordable solution for me. Now, I had used Vapor Barrier Primer in the money pit house, but I was unable to find it in Canada and had to go stateside to get it. So I was at least familiar with the stuff but I questioned whether I was going to be able to find it locally. And he assured me that it was readily available. A lot has changed in the last 10 years, he said. Well, the problem with being shut down for COVID is that I simply can't just pop into a paint store and talk to someone face-to-face. All research needs to be done remotely. And with the border being closed to non-essential travel, a stateside road trip was... Absolutely out of the question. So I went online. I made phone calls. And I searched Google for hours. I was looking for the product that I'd used before. Because Benjamin Moore paints are available in Canada. The specific product I'd used is Benjamin Moore Ultra Spec Vapor Barrier Sealer. And I had high hopes because in the online images I found, vapor. Is spelled with O U R instead of um, <laughs> the um, incorrect American spelling. But nobody I called carried it. Nobody seemed to have even heard of it. And these were Benjamin Moore dealers. And nobody seemed to have any suggestions when I asked about an alternative. The search continued with Sherwin Williams. Images of their vapor barrier primer. Showed up in searches, but do you think I could find a Canadian retailer who sold it? No such luck. PPG also has a similar product. PPG manufactures Glidden Paints, but this particular product was specifically under the PPG label. Well, I found a retailer on the East Coast that sells PPG products. And bonus, they were even offering free shipping so I thought I might be in luck. But the vapor barrier primer that I found on the manufacturer's website was not listed anywhere on this retailer's website. I was getting desperate enough to actually look into the possibility of international shipping. I mean, with our borders still closed due to COVID, a road trip was out of the question. Now, here's the thing, and maybe you say the same thing. I don't want to pay more for shipping than what the product is worth. How many times do we say that? But you have to look at the big picture. Shipping is not as expensive as it first seems when you factor in the cost of gas and the border crossing if I went to pick it up myself. And even if the cost of shipping was as much or more than the paint, it was still going to cost less than the spray foam. I think. I never did find out how much shipping would cost or if it was even possible because almost by accident, I came across exactly what I was looking for. So, what was I looking for exactly? I was looking for a paint with a perm rating of one or less. In the simplest of terms, perm or permians is the measure of how effective a vapor barrier or retarder is. The lower the number, the better. And from what I've read, anything one perm or less satisfies the Ontario building code. Now, 6 mil polyethylene vapor barrier has a rating of 0.06 perm. By comparison, the Benjamin Moore product measures 0.58 perm. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot more, but it's still well within the parameters and easily meets code. The product I found had a perm rating of 0.4, so a better permeance measurement than the product i had been scouring the interwebs for. Now, I am not saying anything at all against the Benjamin Moore product. It is good stuff that I would recommend. And in fact, I would be using it again had I been able to find it. So, after hours of frustrating dead ends and numerous phone calls trying to find a vapor barrier primer, the product I found by chance, was none other than Zinser Bin oil-based primer. Readily available locally at Home Depot and Canadian Tire. Seriously. Minutes from where I live. Now, the funny thing is, it isn't really marketed as a vapor barrier paint per se. No, they bury that little nugget. Could have saved me so much time. So much time that I'll never get back. Zinser Bin Oil Base Primer. Once again, this is not a paid promotion, and I have not received compensation in any form for talking about this product. I am simply sharing what I am using and why. Just in case you find this information helpful, because as I found out, some of this information is not necessarily easy to find. But as a general rule of thumb, a couple coats of any oil-based primer will achieve the target of less than one perm. So too will a couple coats of latex paint, apparently. But if you're in a situation where you have to defend your choice to a building inspector, Zinsser Bin does provide their perm rating, even if it's not heavily promoted. They need to promote it more. But of course, if the building inspector is involved, you may want to run it by them first to make sure that they're going to pass it. Just saying. So with that, I am going to wrap things up here. I want to thank you very much for listening. My website is thumbandhammer.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Thumb I will be back soon with another episode. Until then. Cheers.